Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And this is part two of our interview with Holly Wade. Holly Wade is a licensed clinical social worker. She's also a certified Daring Way facilitator, a yoga teacher, an Enneagram 7, and she's with us to talk about the wisdom of Brene Brown and the Enneagram. Particularly today, we will be asking her about being an Enneagram 7, but also looking at particularly the Enneagram 6 and 7 today. Also wanted to let you know that we would love to have you at some future trainings that Kat Smith and I are leading at Southern Soul Yoga and Yoga Landing. So if you have any questions about that, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Enneagram Plus Yoga or Enneagram.yoga. We would love to have you October the 28th at Southern Soul Yoga and November the 4th through the 6th at Yoga Landing. And just message us with questions that you may have or check out the website for Southern Soul and Yoga Landing for more information. Well, Holly, I know you have a private practice in Memphis um, right now. Could you tell us a little bit about your practice and what led you to become a therapist? So what led me to become a therapist, I'll start there because historically that is the line, um, was the dysfunction in the family that I was living in at the time. You know, like I was trying to fix it. Like, is there something wrong? Maybe there's something I can do to fix it. And, you know, that's part of it. Part of it is my mom is a lawyer. My dad is a doctor. My stepmother's a preacher. What else would I become but a social worker? Like, it's like, (laughs) you know, um, so I had those examples. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't like the like bodily fluid part of that. Um, I knew I didn't, well, I did kind of want to become a lawyer, but, uh, my dad told me at one point and he probably didn't even mean it, but he told me at one point that he would disown me if I became a lawyer, because he, his experience was that when my mom had become a lawyer, when I was 10, that that had ruined their marriage. Not true. However, that's his story. Um, But I don't think I did. I briefly for last year for a little while, I worked for the Tennessee Lawyers Assistance Program as their clinical director. And boy, for all the lawyers out there, if not that a lawyer would be listening to an Enneagram podcast, but there might be a few enlightened ones. But it is a tough, tough job. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be right and lose. So I don't think I want to become a lawyer. And because that's what happens. You can be right. The law is behind your side. But some of the decisions are subjective and um, you lose anyway. So that was so I didn't want to do that. And um, I did think about becoming a preacher. I used to be one of my overly busy things in Connecticut was I was extremely involved in the church. And our church, this is probably what is, was very lucky for me because I don't think I would have necessarily been happy as a minister. Um, our church had a um, social service uh, agency on campus and we had started it, but it was now it's, it's now its own 501C. And I volunteered there and I got very involved and I was on the board and I um, wanted to do more than give out things. I wanted to solve problems. And so my mentor there was an LMSW and she suggested that, um, I go back to school 
and get my social work degree. And I really didn't plan on becoming a clinician. I went that track to, because I wanted to understand more of the clinical processes that cause um, the social issues that we have so that then I could be even a better like macro social worker. But macro social work jobs pay crap and are very hard entry. And so when I ended up finishing school, I needed to make money for a variety of reasons. And I ended up in the clinical field working for other people. And I don't know, y'all can tell me how this plays in. It may play more into the eight than the seven, but in our current broken medical system, working for others was very difficult for me. Um, I called bullshit way too many times, which made it uncomfortable at times for me to work in um, systems that were not functioning optimally. That's a very nice way to put it. So working for myself made the most sense. And I also, being a generalist, I can do the marketing. I can do the contracting. Um, it, it, sometimes I have colleagues who are like, oh, I don't know how to work with an insurance company. I'm like, it's easy. It's not easy. It's easy for me. And because I have the background I have and I have, you know, this ability to under spread my brain around, I guess would be a way to put it. But so it makes sense. It's a good fit. It gives me some control. The downside of it is I really miss connection. Like, and so I have one of the reasons I wanted to do this, like I love connecting with other people who have like-minded things. Um, so I have to be very conscientious about making sure that those other parts of my, my desire you know, the parts of me that aren't filled by this one-to-one -one all day long get filled. Um, so there were some practical reasons to be in private practice, but then there's some also, it just is, is my value set of really helping people and not being a Band-Aid. I can do it more when I have full control over the um, situation. So that is how I ended up my practice here is I have the most beautiful office that I totally lucked into by a call from a connection with a colleague that I had made. And um, I um, mostly see professionals, teachers, nurses, doctors, and lawyers. Um, and I have some of their spouses. My brother is very, very active in the recovery community in Memphis. So I try, I, I, try to be very careful about the people in, in substance use recovery because there's too much overlap there. But I often work with family members of recovery to help them understand how to hold boundaries, how to not blame themselves, how to, um, how to communicate with someone else in recovery with gentleness and without shame, you know, because shame doesn't help anything. It is a common human emotion but it doesn't solve any problems. It doesn't move you towards action. It well, the action it moves you towards is hiding and numbing out and digging deeper underneath the ground, you know? So guilt, yeah, well, you might feel guilty and there might be some amends making, which is part of AA. Um, but th so that's my practice here. And I do um, do telehealth. So I do work with people. I still have a few clients from Chattanooga. 
Um, probably about 50% of my clients are from Nashville just now, but they're starting to um, graduate because um, I've been here now since November. So they're kind of like you know, getting to the point where they're graduating. So is in Memphis, but because Memphis, if you're a clinician in the state of Tennessee, you can see some in the state of Tennessee. So if you wanted to see her virtually and you lived in Nashville or Chattanooga or Knoxville, you could do that. So you can look up Holly Wade um, in Memphis, but just be aware that you can see her as long as you live in the state of Tennessee. You were also asking, you know, if this autonomy piece of uh, not wanting to work for somebody else was a part of your personality. And I would say, yes. Um, <laughs> for the seven, they're entrepreneurs, right? And so they like to own their own business. You have an eight wing and the eight is in the autonomy section of the Enneagram. And they also are often known as CEOs and they want to be the boss. They don't mm -hmm. want to be around. And then on top of that, the seven has the one arrow. And the one arrow in you also wants to be autonomous and do their own thing. And so you've got all these different ener energies in you that are saying, you know, yes, yeah. let me myself. And I also think listening to your history, you majored in political science, which is all about, you know, justice, you know, mm -hmm. and the eight and the one in you that are seeking justice. You thought about being a lawyer, eights and ones often go into law clergy thought about being a clergy a lot of I see a lot of ones who are clergy people so all those other careers and obviously social, social worker is all about justice and that's that eight and one in you as well with your eight wing and then the one arrow so it, it's all very interesting um but speaking of personality this question actually came from Meghan Markle's uh, podcast, Archetypes. I don't know if you've uh, listened to that one. It's a relatively new podcast, um, but sh she asked it on one of her shows and I really liked it. And so can you name three words to describe yourself as a child and three words that might describe you as an adult? Oh, goodness. So as a child, I was busy, mm -hmm. interested, and, and happy is not the right word because I wasn't always happy. I don't know what it would be. I mean, I was, I felt happy, but there was a lot. My mom was sick when I was little between like zero and three. Um, and so I was slightly neglected, <laughs> um, which I've worked through by the way, but, um, but I, I was perplexed. I was perplexed that other people were making life so hard. I was just like, geez, just be happy. You know, that might be a good word. Today, um, I would say I would describe myself as optimistic. And, mm, spiritual in a, in a non-religious way. Mm -hmm. And um three loyal I'm pretty loyal to the people who are my people you're not my people the east Tennessee in me comes out and you better watch your back but um 
but the but I'm am loyal to the people who are my people. I think it's curious that loyal is one of your three words because you have two wings, the six and the eight. Some people live out of both wings. Some people live out of one wing. And the Enneagram would say in the second half of life, some people start to work on the more undeveloped wing. So I'm not sure for you if it's the fact that you're doing this work in the second half of life of um, exploring that loyalty in that six. Uh, but it's it's a good thing, I think, to live out of both wings because then we become like a bird and we're using both of our wings. You know, a bird is pretty handicapped if it's only using one of its wings. And the Enneagram eventually wants us to live out of the high side of all nine numbers. So yeah, you either may be a person who just throughout your life has lived out of both wings or starting to now. So I just wanted to highlight that that's interesting. Let's look at our six. So this is a quote for the six from Brene Brown. Faith is a place of mystery where we can find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. So in your own life, Holly, how does faith, hope, and courage strengthen you and how does fear paralyze you? Um, I faith being different than religion, I'm gonna make that very clear, <laughs> is that for me and what I've learned mixing, like I don't, I have yet, other than reincarnation, which even reincarnation I could argue is similar to heaven, uh, it having studied Buddhism and being brought up in a, as a Christian, I see very little that's different. It's we are individuals, we have free will, and we're moving through the world together and we need to look out for each other. And we are in the, in whatever you call the oneness, the oneness is where the faith comes in. And it's not, I, I'm get really heated about this. Things do not happen to people to teach people things. God is not up there saying, let me give Christy this hardship so that she can learn this. However, more like in, um, and I forget the woman's name, Debbie, um, it's the shadow work stuff. Um, when something happens, there is always some really interesting and cool learning coming from it. Mm -hmm. That, and I have faith that there will be some kind of good that comes from this bad experience that I can then integrate into myself and, and will become part of me moving forward. Um, and that I won't die from the faith is more like, this isn't going to kill me. And with, you know, with emotions, it's like, let the emotion happen. I actually talked to someone this week that had a loss and I was like, it will stop. You can, you can let yourself have the grief because it's not, you're not going to get stuck there. I promise you, it will pass. You will come out of it. You will be a different person. You will, you will, you know, have, you will be affected, but you won't be stuck in this keening grief forever. This is, this is this moment, um, which gave her the space to, to cry and say, yeah, I don't have to be tough. This does suck. Um, and then courage helps me I don't I'm not I, uh, paralyzed I don't I don't get paralyzed I get paused I put things off um 
mostly my fear comes around like admitting a mistake or money. A lot of it comes around money, which is a long story, but you know, I will put something off and you know what I've learned because of paying attention and mindfulness, it turns out okay. So now those, those um, times where I'm, well, I'll notice, oh, I'm avoiding this. Let me just tackle it because it's going to be okay. Like it may be hard. It may be ugly, but it'll be okay. Um, So I wouldn't say that I I can't even think of a time where fear paralyzes me, but it will stop me and, and delay me and hope and faith then comes in and moves me through it. Beautiful. Well, let's move on to seven and hopefully this quote would really resonate with you, Holly. So for seven from Brene, we cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. So what are ways you have seen in your clients um, numb in the pain of life? And how do you numb the pain of life? And what helps you wake up and realize that and live more mindfully without numbing? Yeah. Um, The way I numb before was to try to fix and to stay busy and try to get what I wasn't getting from other places, which was sometimes successful. Like if I wasn't getting validation, one place I got it from another, but that was more survival. That wasn't thriving. So moving, you know, being able, I remember the first time I laughed heartily after I started doing, um, more mindfulness work and I wasn't really doing therapy. I had some really crappy therapists over the years. Um, but, um, and I did have some good there. I had a great therapist, Megan, um, in Megan Monday is what she goes by now in, um, in Knoxville was my therapist when I was getting divorced and she was awesome. Um, but I just remember we were on this ski trip and my son and I made this funny joke, um, about the Kardashians and I was laughing so hard. I couldn't stop laughing. And I was just like, Ooh, Ooh, this feels good. Like, what is up with that? Why hasn't I, this is foreign and what is up with that? Oh, this is nice, you know, but with that came the opening up to recognizing pain and fear. And I also remember a conversation I had with my ex-husband about anxiety and being anxious and, and needing something from him. And he's like, you just need to get over it. And I'm like, no, I don't. This is an appropriate, this is a completely appropriate feeling for me to have. Mm -hmm. And, and I have a right to feel this way. And you know, I'm, you're not going to tell me I don't. Um, and then I will, I will need to get it soothed in a different way, <laughs> but, um, but I'm not going to just, cause you tell me that I shouldn't feel it, not feel it. Um, so being, and that's where the vulnerability started coming. Funny story. He told me when, when I asked him for a divorce, that it was Brene Brown's fault. Ever since you read that book, you've been different. And I was like, what's the book about? He goes, blame. And I was like, okay, where this conversation's done, like, this is not what this conversation, that is not what's happened. I have awoken. I have started experiencing emotions and seeing that, wow, you cause a lot of negative emotions. I don't want to be around that anymore. Um, and 
I can't change you, but I can sure as hell change me. And this thing that I never wanted, which I didn't even realize I never wanted, but I never wanted to be divorced. I had a, I had a bad story in my head about what it meant to be divorced. Let me tell you, anybody who's on the fence, being divorced was wonderful. There was nothing bad about it. It, it allowed me to be my true self. It allowed me to learn so much about myself. It allowed me to find a beautiful partner to, who was supportive and kind and, and is part of a team. It's allowed my children to grow. Sure. Are there hard, ugly things about it? Absolutely. But it is not the story I had in my mind. And, um, and I don't even know where that came from. My great grandmother was divorced twice. And I think that may be part of it. Um, that, that, you know, I had this shame running through the family about not being able to make a marriage work. And that wasn't what was going on. You know, it wasn't working. It wasn't that I couldn't make it work. It wasn't working. So being vulnerable enough to be divorced allowed me to come alive. It's, it was transformative. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, for, for, for people, anybody that that is going to be, it's important to be able to, to do that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because there may be somebody who needs to hear that. And, you know, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Enneagram plus yoga. Stay tuned for this word from our sponsor. And after this word, we'll have a short meditation. Our meditation today is a question paired with breath for each of the nine Enneagram numbers. Let's start with our inhale and find our exhale. Do I recognize it is okay to make mistakes? Find a breath in. Find a breath out. Do I recognize it is important to receive help? Finding your in-breath, finding your out-breath. Do I recognize I deceive myself by working too much? Breathing in, breathing out. Do I recognize that my tendency towards envy keeps me from experiencing gratitude breathing in and out do i recognize staying in my head space leaves me disconnected from my body heart and life breathing in breathing out Do I recognize when my fears are unfounded? Finding your in-breath and your out-breath. Do I recognize my constant search for what's next keeps me from true happiness? Breathing in, breathing out. 
do I recognize my need for power and control intimidates and steamrolls others? Finding that breath in and out. Do I recognize that shrinking diminishes me and means I am no longer a full participant in life? Bringing hands to your heart in prayer, breathing in, breathing out. Namaste, friends.